0: I used to cover Facebook like nominally. Like, I would get invited to the Facebook Connect thing. Did you guys ever go? We went to a holiday party together. Oh, yeah. Back when Mark used to walk around with like security guards sort of off in the the offing. They had that
1: amazing spread of like roast turkey and delicious food, and nobody was eating it. I made this huge plate. It was so awkward cuz it was like a cocktail plate too, but I piled it very high and went and sat all by myself and then Tom came over yeah. and said hi to me while I was eating alone in the corner because Yeah. I don't know, I just pretty quickly assessed that we weren't going to get any real information out of the executives who were there that night.
0: Right, but the food was good and they had the they also amazing. had a giant donation uh, bin full, you know, of like Facebook employees that had donated things to charity and I thought yeah, it was, was like I thought it was like the swag bat oh bucket my for reporters. God. <laughs> so I started rummaging around in it. And a like, why are there Facebook, all these toys? A Facebook employee, I was like, yeah, cool. Like a sock and bog and robots. And, and I pulled one out, and a Facebook employee was like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? That's the classic Tom. Yeah. I, that's the that's
2: last amazing. Facebook party we went to. That's oh amazing. At F8, they that's the developer would, conference.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So F8, you know, and Zuck comes out there and he gives his speech. And they talk about the new products going into Instagram and Facebook. And then there's always like a section where they talk about the Oculus products and, and the all the different, you know, not augmented reality, but like the alter, you know, whatever, like like second life products that they have that they would roll out. And I would always tune out during that section. It was always the least interesting and relevant to the business. And like I wouldn't have expected in like 2015 that that was going to be the whole company. Like that one section that everybody didn't pay attention to was secretly the only <laughs> thing that he cared about this whole time.
1: Is it that he big a surprise though?
0: Yeah, th- a the lot part of a the lot changed most divorced
1: 20- from the uh, company's issues and problems.
0: Yeah, it shouldn't have been a surprise. But anyway, for, for, tell me your argument.
2: Well, you know, my call my column this week was basically saying that you know tech companies have a long tradition of using futuristic technology to distract people from their issues. You know, obviously Alphabet. You know, literally, Google changed its name. They, you know, promised us life extension and fabulous new cities and self-driving cars and amazing connected homes. And like, very little of it has panned out. And then Uber basically copied the model with some of the same people and said, "Oh, we'll have flying cars and we'll also have self-driving cars." And they did that, and you know, that helped sort of juice it. And Lyft's uh, president promised. Uh, I think most of their vehicles would be self-driving cars by this year, which unfortunately hasn't happened. So, you know, I I think, you know, the argument is that there's an obvious sort of distraction quotient to this and that the media basically can't help but play into it because we're addicted to these stories no matter what. And it's not even that the media isn't sufficiently skeptical because – you know, like we're writing the column saying this is bullshit, but it's just like there, there's a fatalism to if this is what Facebook is talking about, we're dragged into it. So I guess the idea that I had was, fuck it, like, okay, everybody, you know, it's a second order sort of concern. Uh, what if we just like argue about the actual sort of first order sort of metaverse plan thing and buy in? to the whole conceit. Like, do you... Right, because
1: I don't think there's a big fight over whether or not it was Everybody a,
2: agrees it's a distraction. An like,
1: effort to distract from the fact that the company you know, being...
2: <laughs> right, it's like so self-evident. And yet we're still all-comers. like, it still happens. It's a weird, like, we're on... You know, it's like, why can't everybody just ignore it and say, oh, it's just like fucking Facebook. Right. And actually get to the essential
1: issue of whether or not people would want to live in a metaverse. I mean, I think that people like human contact. I think they actually enjoy things like being in rooms together and sharing genuine laughter. I think they like touching one another. They like having sex. They like, you know, emotions that only come from being in groups of small, small groups or large groups of people. And I just don't think that's all replicable in the metaverse
0: outside of a surrogate outside of a surrogate um played play by uh who, who played it in her i can't remember oh, who played God. scarlet manson anyway. well that was the voice i I mean, I even think like getting to this point of whether or not people are willing to accept the metaverse almost elides past the point that like the technology required for this to be at any way close to what Zuck was explaining in this just isn't there.
1: But that's what I'm talking about. Right. It's like everybody knows it will never replicate the things that we like about living, the things that we like about living with other human beings. See, we I disagree with about the I... things that suck about being around other human beings, but the things that are really great about it are pretty special and they're not there's no technology that replicates the feeling of being at a party and having a really good time.
2: I don't know. I'm bullish on the metaverse. There was an interesting But in what way? Explain to me, like, what
1: yeah, version what of, it, of it? Yeah, what part of it will be fun? Like, I'm, I'm willing to accept it in complete
0: theory that, yeah, it would be fun to be able to, in a limited sense, feel like you're next to someone that you couldn't be for one reason or another. But First, just, first
2: of all, the standard the Kitty's setting that until it's as good as sex, it's not going to work. I mean, I'm not for, even
1: saying that. We, I mean, we, we, I think that we even found it needs to, be pandemic, it needs to, to be better than being on Zoom together was not satisfactory. It's
2: not satisfactory, but we're still doing it. I think there are a lot of... I mean, we're we're, I, 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 but we're recording this people,
1: on Zoom right people now. People are we, not attending. Well, because we physically can't I know, do it any but other like, way because we're in different
2: cities. Right, but we're prioritizing that over finding real people. You know, like in everything, there are trade-offs.
1: But that's different from wanting to live in the metaverse. It's different from saying I voluntarily I'm going to spend my leisure time there. I don't voluntarily spend my leisure time with you guys on Zoom. Well, it could
2: be work. I think work is a big use, potential use case and video games. Like people play video games. They're in 2d screen digital spaces. Like people spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of my time in front of a computer. If If I got to keep the, the clothes that I bought in fucking Fortnite and the costumes and well, so so the, the gaming them aspect. everywhere else, so I look yeah. cool like that. That that seems good. Like if I were in here with a bunch of shiny things, making you guys you know jealous and laughing, I, that's like the stepping stones of it. I know that's it's like the Katie's like this is the most pathetic like thing in the world, but I I do think it's incremental. No,
1: I don't think it's pathetic. I I, I agree that it's incremental. I just don't think that there's a world in which people given the choice between spending a lot of their time in the metaverse and spending a lot of their time with other people would choose the metaverse. Now I think you're right. There's probably work application, business application, but again, like work and business application. I mean, if that was a goal, we already have Zoom.
0: Well that but that's always been the cop-out for all of this technology. It's like, well, let's just make it work for business. I mean, like if you follow the I whole, remember
1: like with Second Life, they were like, Well, people will start setting up stores in Second Life. There'll right. be merchants in Second Life.
0: Oh, like the economy within it. I mean, that's a whole but, other thing. That's okay. just like people applying. Well, the, the
1: economy.
2: I think we're pretty close. I mean, NFTs are already getting us there. We're already we have people playing NFT games in the Philippines where they're making money playing those games. Like just, just the fact that if even if it's just delusional money provided by tech companies, that there are going to be people, you know, not just like World of Warcraft weird sort of like, but like people who are doing like jobs in a fully digital space to make, you know, like that's amazing. Like, and I, I feel like that transition is, that is close. And I think that is a pretty radical, I mean, economies are powerful. And once people can make money in a digital space because they're producing things, or holding things that people want. But
0: but this is the cart before the horse, right? Like you have to have a a critical mass of people who are actively choosing to participate in this reality for the economy to be meaningful.
2: Well, that's why NFTs are amazing. They're like definitionally the cart before the horse, right? They're literally buying the objects when they're just text before there's some standard broker who accepts them all. So yes, I agree with you. It's insane. But like part of the effort to get around this is literally we're going to sink money into it before it even exists, Basically to do what you're saying, to put the cart before the horse.
0: I mean, that's like the, that's like the completely logical and like uh, pragmatic explanation for NFTs. I think the one that I buy into more is that like people just have a lot of money and like speculating on shit and feel like they can flip Definitely. it for, for a right. lot of money. But like, it seems to me that there are two kind of sides of the spectrum here that they're trying to make meat in the middle of like regular people that that's like where i don't get it because in one sense we have business right like uh, you have people that are like oh we can do more efficient meetings with people over the world by pretending they're next to us rather than doing shitty conference calls or zooms and then you have like the gaming world which is like hyper connected people that have already sold into a world where their friends or people that they communicate with playing whatever Fortnite or or overwatch and then like not that gaming is small not that business is small, but the world that Zuck is explaining here is one in which we're like, ah, we've bought into it. Like there's the efficiency of connecting people over the world and there's the social aspect of gaming. And I just think there's a huge hurdle to get to that point where people in the middle are going to be that interested in either either use case. And with the technology not even being close to good enough, it almost makes me wonder Aside from the distraction element that Facebook is, you know, also pushing for here. Why anyone cares? Like, why are we talking about this so much right now?
1: This reminds me so much of the flying cars. I'm like, please, I could not give any fucks about the flying cars. Call me. Call me. Call me when they're in the air.
2: Well, the reason is because people like to fantasize. I, I do think it's delu- it doesn't make sense, especially for the media and like professional media. People are worried about business. To think about these technologies uh, so far out, like, I, I do think that's, that's irrational. And the fact that we just, like, move, I mean, we, I'm trying to think of, there were, like, I mean, we were obsessed with seasteading for a while. There were, like, there were all these weird debates we would, like, fall into. See, see
1: actually, I, I'm, I'm still really interested in seasteading.
2: <laughs> you want to live on an oil <laughs> rig? Didn't you see the Saudis were trying to think of like an amusement park in an oil rig? Did you see I mean,
1: that? I just I, I think the idea of living sort of in this like extraterritorial space is like non-country. I mean, that was I, the smartest
0: thing Scientology had going forward. Yeah,
1: I think that is actually an interesting idea.
0: Yeah, everyone wants um, to feel like they're out on the seas. Should we uh, should we turn towards the the media aspect? I guess we sort of already did, but there seem to have been like a couple of specific controversies that have come up uh, in the post-metaverse uh, discourse uh, Oh, like I who guess- got
2: interviews with zuck or what
0: yeah basically that and and if and when they did it did they ask the right questions that they should have given oh yeah
2: the ben thompson one's interesting i sort of tweaked him in my newsletter today yeah
0: yeah so so basically you know there was sort of like two big facebook news dumps that happened this week one was the you know the consortium right that was this week right That was monday um when like oh my god the-
2: wait was it really
0: I, I yeah, think you're so. right.
2: It, Time. Well, it sort of no, broke yeah. over the weekend, right? They had the whole Friday. It's crazy that it just happened.
0: Right. But right. So on Monday, they started having like the drip drip of stories coming out from what I really liked uh, from Ben Smith's column that Casey Newton suggested. They call it the leftovers. Oh, yeah. uh, Cause that's basically what it was, right? It was like the stuff that the journal just like deemed not worthy of part of their series, like got collected in the papers. And then Francis Hogan's extremely skilled and savvy PR team, you know, brought together a bunch of news organizations to analyze it and kind of in coordination, uh, put it out. And so there was all kinds of a like hand wringing about like who was included and you know, what the value of these kind of second, you know, sloppy second stories were. And then there was the Zuck interviews in which he spoke to see if I can get off the top of my head here. He did interviews with the information, the Verge, Stratechary, Ben Thompson. Uh what else? Did Casey get one? I wasn't sure. I think he got Andrew Bosworth. And then was there anyone else? I think there were maybe one or two more. Uh, but it wasn't the New York Times. It wasn't the Wall Street Journal. It wasn't the yeah. Washington Post. So
1: No, because the Times, the Journal, and the Post were going through <laughs> the leaked company documents. Right. right. The
2: Verge was the only one in the consortium, right, that also got an interview. I think somebody said that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. So that's, you know, it wasn't like, I don't know if it was specific. Penalization. It,
2: it fits into our theme of whether the big beat reporters should get interviews, as we've argued about before. I
1: think that there was probably a higher chance that they would have gotten interviews if they hadn't been writing stories saying that the company was evil and destroying democracy. It I just seems I, that, like it. it feels that way to me.
0: <laughs> it feels like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, I think um, just on the on the first on the consortium, reading Ben's story and having spoken to people at the journal about it before Ben's story came out. I think I would be extremely distressed if I saw one of my sources say, it's been great working with you, but now I'm going to take this and kind of just work with a lot of other people because I didn't think you did exactly what I wanted and didn't. I mean, that, that would be... Really? Like that kind of source management would be tough. Yeah. You know, like... I, I don't feel know. Like
2: the Wall Street Journal got such a big story out of they it. Got,
1: they got a great story, but I think that when you're working with a source who is really forthcoming with information, your hope is that that's not the end of your relationship with them, I think. Well, he wanted to
2: write for a book. It seemed like their series was over. That they
1: continue to give information because I think that I would just say for me, if I were to write a series of stories on a topic that I thought was important about, say, the Justice Department, I don't think of it as, okay, well, I've packaged up four great stories and that's it. I actually want to continue to get information about the department, hopefully from the person who was helpful to me.
2: Right. I mean, part of it, not to flatter you too much, but I mean, you seem like the dominant Justice Department reporter. I feel like in tech, there are just like so many, it feels like they can get other good stuff. Whereas staying with like the top reporter on the beat, is in like the source's interests in some ways. I mean, there's like a tactic, there's tactics too. Well, to I
1: it. mean, but but that but that's what was so interesting about this is that you could argue that because say in an in hypothetically because I don't know Jeff and I don't know what their relationship was like, but hypothetically if she had a good relationship with him. People read the Wall Street Journal incredibly widely, particularly the kinds of people who you want as a reader who will have that you know the particularly the people who can force some sort of Impact around the company, regulators, people in business, investors—they're reading the Wall Street Journal. So, in a hypothetical world where the two of them have a really good relationship, you could imagine a world where the it would be at least in the journal's interest to keep this source happy right and but it seemed like a keep he, and keep her feeling like she will get as much out of simply just working with the journal as she will creating an enormous consortium of like <laughs> a right. dozen publications who all write completely unoriginal stories because yeah. they're all amplifying the same five things her,
2: one of her issues i thought was facebook's failure to moderate in developing countries to the same degree that it was in the us and then that wasn't one of the major hits In the journal story, and knowing the journal, it does seem like a place that isn't, I mean, to their credit almost, like that isn't willing to do like fan service to their source as much. So I do wonder if there's a degree to which they sort of ended their series. They didn't hit what she wanted. But would
1: that story have been, would that story have been a bad story for the journal to do, first of all? Like they should have done
2: it in the main series if that was their sources. But also, I don't think
1: every, I don't, I think it's weird to think about investigative journalism as a series i i think of it that's how they bought
2: they packaged it well
1: way. everyone pa- it's packaging stories is one thing people package stories for all sorts of reasons but i think the mentality of okay we wrote our four stories and now we can just move on if you really believe that you want to interrogate Definitely. power why would you think of it that way that that made no sense to me. That would be like me saying, well, I wrote a few stories about January 6th in, you know, March and April. So I think right. I did it. I'm done. That was very, that would be very weird. But she's,
0: she's left. She we
1: left. We packaged them she's really not, well. She's and, not there.
2: Uh, <laughs>
0: like, it's hard to know. I mean, uh, I guess we don't know if the journal initially when they got the documents, they thought we should be the ones to own it. Or they just sort of said, you know, we're going to take what we can get from this person who clearly had... Mot- not mot- a three motives, but she had a plan on what she wanted to do. I mean, we, we kind of could tell several days into the series that, oh, she was going to testify uh,
2: before Can, I, can I ask a dumb question that I should know the answer to? Like, was it obvious in the journal story that it was like a key whistleblower? Like they didn't present it that yes, way, Yes, right? no,
1: because they said in their stories, in the sourcing of their stories, they said, according to documents from a whistleblower that have been given to the Hill. Right. Like that was often the attribution. Okay. Right. It felt
2: like they didn't present it as like, I don't know, I wasn't as personally obsessed about the whistleblower reading their series as I was just about like the claims. Whereas if she wants to be a sol- <laughs> that's successful for them. but I, I was yeah. going to
1: say, in an ideal world, it is about the claims and not about Definitely. the personality but, if, but, that was, but the you think that alike. was
0: a mismanagement on the part of the journal it just seemed that francis haugen well that's
1: the thing i'm not saying even that it's a mismanagement on the part of the journal i'm saying that for, yeah, I if, I, so, if I were the reporter i would be a little distressed
0: <laughs> yeah yeah to
1: see because i i wouldn't think she just gave this package of papers to congress she gave me a sneak preview so i could break them and package an interesting series. I would think this is a person with whom I'd want to have an ongoing relationship for a variety of reasons, because sources are not only people who bring us information. Sources are people who help us vet information. They're people with whom we discuss story ideas.
2: But fundamentally, a great source is more powerful than a good reporter at this point.
1: And the trusting relationship goes two ways. So the source trusts us to keep their identities secret to the extent they want to be secret, and we also trust them to not tell other reporters when we are working on a story, <laughs> and we call right. them and say, "I want to work on a story right now about Margaret over at Andreessen Horowitz." And you trust that source that you speak with, Eric, to not get on the fucking phone right. and then call Casey and say, "Eric just called me and said that he was working on a story."
2: <laughs> but well, then, but there, there you, are you, also you... people you do think are doing that, and you. Well,
1: and yeah. they, I don't consider them my sources but what do you do in that so fine so she's
0: not really their source i mean she effectively used the journal as a way to get her message out in the way that benefit i mean the journal did independent reporting uh, to kind of back it up and and you know fill it out in a way that would give it more credibility than just a document dump but what do you do in the case of a reporter where you've come across a source who's got an axe to grind which he does i mean it's for the public good but this is fundamentally her campaign and you're like okay I'm going to get these documents but it's only going to be exclusive for a certain amount of time.
1: Well it also didn't seem from Ben Smith's story that they were aware that it was only going to be an exclusive right. for a certain amount of time. Yeah. They were in shock on the phone call and like Jason Dean their editor said this is very awkward.
2: I just think it's hubris. They they had a huge crack at it like and I don't agree with you. I I get what you're saying. I think you have a bunch better pitch to a source who's still at the Justice Department or still in the loop of the Justice no. Department.
1: What What do you... I, because The it's idea like, that all of my sources are at the Justice Department sure, makes what, zero sense. Okay,
2: okay, wherever, the, wherever they are. Like, just the, your, the, th- the Capitol riots story, for example, just feels more ongoing. Like, a lot of these Facebook stories are, like, looking back at past practices, whereas an investigation is ongoing.
0: Well, that's the interesting thing, too.
2: Right? Do
1: you think that Facebook has changed their practices? Do you think that any...
2: These stories are framed as, like, this is what happened at this date. Whereas like an investigation, the source has a clear reason to know why they would have more stuff. I'm mixed on that. I
1: don't know. Because like the January 6th attack is literally looking back.
2: A lot of the scoops are about the nature of the investigation. Have
1: there been subsequent attacks on the Capitol that I didn't hear about, Eric? Holy shit. I should get off the phone. I should get on the phone. right.
0: But now. but what do you do if you, you know, even intuit at this point that you have a source that is going to go wide in some way or start talking to other reporters? I have
1: no idea. All you I can't know drop is that, that would be really distressing.
0: Oh, sure. It's incredibly stressful. But haven't you had the the experience of talking to a source and you have this feeling in the back of your head? I think they may be talking to someone else. And you kind Absolutely. of have to say, all right, let me be strategic here about what I tell this person. Like maybe I'm I'm better than other reporters so I can use them in a more effective way. But fundamentally, this changes the relationship. Right.
2: And it's not like we wouldn't or haven't gone to other people's sources and said, oh, I think I could tell this story. Well, you should talk to me, too.
0: I mean, I know there are reporters who tell sources specifically do not talk to other reporters. Do not do that. I, I think that sucks. I think that's weird.
1: OK, I don't do that. I think that's weird. I, 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 do I don't do tell that.
0: them not
2: to because you can't control them. I think it's bad yeah, strategy. If people, I thought it was right. good strategy, I would tell them not
1: to. Like... It's also
0: pathetic. Like it just kind of reveals the greed. Right, yeah. right and, exactly. Like, avarice behind scoopage and wanting to own a story. You right. don't really want to talk about it. I
1: feel like we're, we. if you got to do this job for like decades, you know, you're not going to scoop every story. Like you got some some things are just, maybe <laughs> maybe that's not the winning attitude I'm supposed to bring to my job, but it's like this is a long, it's a long It's a long race, you know? Right.
2: Well, I think rejecting that is a good strategy. but I mean looking at the whistleblowers, I mean, have you seen some of these tech whistleblowers on Twitter who are very angry that that they didn't get like worshipped like she did and it it's not a good look for them. It looks very uh, like they want it to be about them.
1: It's just part of some larger cultural shift where we are just so we're all
2: influencers
1: influ- yes yeah. Yeah. every that, everything is so self-centered just in culture in general. And how much of that is Instagram's fault?
0: (laughs) Well, that's the only frame that I can understand the current whistleblower boom. Is that like, you know, it's just, it's just a different niche of, of, of influencer.
1: I mean, my mind is literally warped right now because I just finished the Susan Sontag biography, the eight gajillion page (laughs) biography of Susan Sontag by Benjamin Moser. But I mean, you can't read that thing and not, you can't read that thing in the 21st century especially when so much of it is about, you know, like notes on camp and on photography and not think about her writing in the context of something like Instagram, you know, basically her making this like huge cultural argument that people are still arguing about. You cannot study photography without thinking about Sontag, still arguing about whether or not the camera is a weapon and whether or not it's like a form of like, there there is a, a theft there and there is a way in which people lose control of themselves through image. And then to turn that camera on ourselves again and again, every single day, willingly. I mean, the, it is it is very difficult to think about her cultural critique of photography and then not wonder how it has played out in this like exponential way, thanks to Instagram. Anyways. I, totally. I, a total, total digression. By, no, no, but not, but, not really but, though. Because, but then is it any wonder that you have whistleblowers on Twitter right. being like, but I wanted to be the 60 minutes whistleblower.
2: Right. And then to frame our our frustration with the whistleblower sort of turning on the Wall Street Journal, it's just the classic – Reporters being mad that influencers are like fucking everything up, tweeting well, through mean, it. I, and, like, I, I it's like, why is this- isn't it more controlled? Why isn't there just sort of like, it's no, the same you- dynamic outside of whistleblowers. Well, where- I was gonna say,
1: I, I, I don't think it's that simple. I don't think it's just like being upset because you don't get your way. I think it's saying, if this means there's a fundamental shift in the way that sources see themselves vis-a-vis the media does that mean that the media has to make some sort of fundamental shift in the way that it sees how it deals with sourcing right. i don't mean like you don't you don't honor your agreements you always honor your agreements but does that mean for example that you that the best way to do you know investigative work is in the consortium model which which definitely predates these Facebook stories, right? You had the Panama Papers. That was the consortium model. You've ha- I mean, like, this has happened before. You've seen publications like ProPublica consistently team up, team up with other papers like The Guardian, like The New York Times, like NPR. So I, so it's not new. It's just like, okay, well, if this is the shift that's happening on the sourcing side, does that mean on the media side there needs right. to be a shift too? Yeah, to-
2: I, I, that's the right way. I agree with that framing, totally.
0: Yeah, and, and also I think, like, the framing of influencers as, you know, the base superstructure of how these people you know view their role um is incredibly relevant because they are talking to us they, like everyone's so media savvy like that was sort of like the big revelation of influencer culture was that people understand the, the concept of audience of fandom of you know distribution and i think because everyone that's on social media understands these things whistleblowers included or whatever employees that become whistleblowers included they know when spots talking to a reporter they need to Frame it in a certain way that gets maximum impact. Yes. And like, so I'm talking to, you know, a lot of people. I write about this company, GoPuff, which is this like delivery service. Oh my God. Uh, I'm
1: really obsessed with your GoPuff stories.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, one of the people that was talking to me recently, like giving me all this inside information about like the complaints that warehouse workers have and bicycle, you know, sorry, that and um drivers have, is she saw that I was verified on Twitter. Oh my and she God. was like, she's like, oh, you're famous. Oh my god. Which is like I didn't really want to push back on her that like, you know, a lot of <laughs> reporters get verified, a lot of ex-reporters remain verified. It's a pretty useless right. token, but because I had that, I'm sure that's one of the reasons she was willing to talk to me so much because she saw it as like, oh, I'm I'm reaching big distribution here. And it's that kind of savviness that runs through all People These days that is like, I think, absolutely responsible for like, you know, whistleblower culture and like, you know, wars among whistleblowers and people wanting to fashion themselves in that way. It's crazy. It's totally crazy.
2: I wanted to touch on Katie's question about like how the media reacts. I mean, I would say, to me, like the most high minded solution would be if we could be less obsessed with who published like the initial facts.
1: Yeah, I was going to say like the culture of like credit for scoops is very 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 intense in the tech right reporting world in a way that it's less so. I mean, in other places, I'm not saying that reporters everywhere don't do it, but like it's, but it's
2: pretty But like a whole investigative project can be for an investigative project to go viral, it's still very helpful to have new facts that aren't known to the public.
1: Well, of course that's what reporting is.
2: But there's a degree to which if it's like you put all the pieces together, and have the narrative and have, obviously you have new facts, but they are the sort of B and C plot facts, not like the, I don't know. The, like, I mean, in the Instagram case with the teen girls, right? Like you have this study out, like say that study comes out in some like quick piece at Forbes or something. Like if the journal turns around and writes the story thoughtfully, like they did, it just has less impact because we're sort of, addicted to who got the detail out. And that, I mean, that's why outlets front run. But and
1: there were stories in the past that social media made women feel bad. Right. And there was the empirical evidence of women talking about it online that it made them feel bad. So, I mean, it's it wasn't right. a new concept. I mean, this
2: was powerful because Facebook knew. It was
1: powerful because Facebook, what the story was saying is that Facebook knew this right. internally based right. on their own research and lied about it.
2: Yeah. I'm still iffy on what I think yeah. about that story. Uh, but that's a whole
0: different can of worms. But the metaverse, no, <laughs> nobody owned that story. Uh, although, although there were the scoops about the fact that Mark was going to be announcing it. Uh, in the well, yeah, week, I mean, what? Uh, which that Alex was kinda, Heath, it,
2: Alex Heath breaking the name change. I mean, in terms of like single fact scoop. That's it's big. I mean, it's sure. not culturally, Im- but it's just like it, it
0: certainly won the news cycle that evening, and then right was oh oh fuck. if your
2: job is to get a bunch of people to think your name. In their brains, it was a very successful scoop. I don't know if that's really the job, but, uh, yeah. succeeded on that metric. I,
1: I'm, I'm very skeptical of the, I mean, I think that it is good to be competitive and it's important to get scoops and it is essential in our jobs. And but I, in terms of like what we do for a living, I think what we do for a living, it's such a cliche, but we write the first page of history and then we are forgotten. Like we're not, right. we're not a thing anymore. Like we're not going to be a thing. We're just we're we're delivering like the raw material that like an historian who is a thing is going to use. to Well, shape. that's that's why
2: you got got to get in the opinion game here. You know, I'm <laughs> a- yeah. I don't
1: think I don't think that's any more lasting. I'm trying
2: to move away from the the raw deal scoop and more into. <laughs> I mean framing things up. I mean, if
0: you want posterity, be one of the nine hundred million opinion writers out there. I don't think that's better.
1: I don't think it's different. I think it's becoming as commoditized. I think it's more like time and thoughtfulness are what will be the the most important things. And like those are those. And I I, and I'm I'm actually just totally fine with it. Like I like name name me the person who got us all the Iran Contra affair scoops. God, none of us can commend that person. (laughs) Right. But those were really, really, really fucking important stories. And it doesn't make it less important just because literally no one can remember the name of the person who broke the stories. Right.
2: See, what you really need, you need an infrastructure to self-mythologize the scoop you break as soon as you break it (laughs) so that it gets into the historiography right away.
1: Eric, I really think that you and Francis Haugen could could come up with some sort
2: of business model
1: together.
0: Yeah. Well, I will say my first reaction to the 60 Minutes interview that she gave and she started tweeting, she made a Twitter account and she was like, you know, I released the, whatever. It was some like announcement of herself as part of the 60 Minutes thing. I looked at her follower count. And it was like 4,000. I'm like, ooh, Francis, not good enough. You're not. Oh God, she at like, now. I, it's not great, honestly. Really? With, you know, I don't know how much she's paying her PR team, but it's not the kind of work she, you know. She's, She's got an to, ace PR team. Yeah, she clearly does. I, I think
2: these scoops are overhyped. Like, I think in six months, we're not going to be talking about her.
1: I mean,
0: 82,000, I don't know. I know some tech well, journals that She could more. do Dancing with the Stars next. Right, right. I would assume, you know, assuming, you know, that they bring production to Puerto Rico, she should She should definitely be considered. I mean, the,
2: the journal had high impact stories. And I agree with Casey. The rest have been... Leftovers, right? Does anybody disagree with that? I honestly
0: haven't read them, so I'm gonna say I have
1: yes. A, I I I, have a, I don't know. She has eighty-two thousand five hundred followers. Tall.
0: That's okay. That's okay.
1: I'm I'm going to follow her Let's, right now. Click. There there eighty-two thousand five hundred and one. There's followers.
2: an NFT <laughs> account I follow that is way, way above that. Like
0: what's she tweeting about now? Like succession? Or like what's Like, what's next? That's always a funny thing about these people to me. Like I followed, you know, Snowden and, you know, that guy's he's pretty committed to the bit. You know, he's still living in Russia. And, you know, still. I think
1: it's because he can't come back.
0: Right. Yeah. That's probably I don't don't think he's
1: committed to the bit. I think he's just in exile.
0: Yeah. Um, But that's the thing about a whistleblower is you got to think like, all right, I'm past this point. You know, like Chelsea Manning, for example. I mean, that's been a pretty difficult transition. Uh, from being a whistleblower to going to jail to coming out. And-
1: yeah, because when you're when you're disclosing classified information, right. it's a little bit different than taking a bunch of documents from Facebook. Right. Fortunately for us, corporations don't yet have statutes dedicated to prosecuting right. people who take information out of their corporations.
2: I don't want our conversation to be read as talking about Chelsea Manning or uh, Snowden. I feel like they're in a Yeah, I think it's very separate. That's sort of a different because bucket. Because of like, the law. Like,
1: she has nine tweets.
0: I mean, it's just you're not going to get a lot of engagement at that level. They got to be really good tweets each time. You just got to Each be.
1: one has five to, uh, each one seems to have five to 10,000 retweets. She's doing okay. 21,000 retweets.
0: That's a high hit rate. It's a good hit rate. I just own this line of she's inquiry. She has
1: 80,000 followers with just nine tweets. Oh, that's pretty good. I mean, like,
0: our citizens aside, Eric, you can't tell me you were not even mildly entertained by the fact that she, like, is a crypto millionaire. Well, yeah, and, like, I, lives... I
2: mean, it was a great. Ben Smith is the best, probably the best journalist out there right now. I mean, he's killing it, at least on topics I'm interested in.
1: I was going to say.
2: Well, part of it is just that the journal is boring. You know, it's just not their sensibility. Like, you wouldn't... they don't... Do they have anyone who's writing that type of
1: story there? I'm sure they have people well, they don't who could. not they don't have that. I mean, like... Basically, Margaret Sullivan and Ben Smith are very different in the way that they approach like being a medium call media columnist than like pretty much anyone else.
0: Ben's having a good time and he's also asking the questions, you know, specifically about Frances that I was amazed no one really asked before that, which is like what's her deal? Where is she right now? How does she have the money to make this work? Well,
2: people were starting to wonder. I do think there was a motivate because people the Omidyar thing had already come out. So then there were real questions about how she was making her money. And I do think She's like, oh, I have my Bitcoin money. But then, I mean, they're paying for like her lawyers still. I, I do think there was a little bit of a downplay in how much Midiar was a big player in uh, her apparatus, which even if it doesn't affect her sort of personal wealth, the fact that she's not having to spend her personal wealth is, is a big boon. I mean, I'm not I'm not that cynical of her, but I, I do think there were like messaging games going around that whole circumstance.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: All right, how do we wrap this one up, Eric?
2: I do think the media has to has so much catch-up to play on influencer culture. Like I was But
1: why? I think the media should stay away from influencer culture. We should not no,
2: I'm I'm cheerleading for them to collapse. I don't
1: want I'm not an influencer. I'm just I'm like I'm mining little pieces of information and putting them in the public and then someday I'll retire. That's it. Eric
2: is. I want I want them to be the same. Like, but but think about it from the journalistic perspective. If influencers and journalists are held to the same standards, that puts some. Pre- i mean, you know to circle back on something. I mean, we were talking about uh, Ben Thompson at Stratechery interviewing Mark Zuckerberg. And Tom and I were having this argument about whether he should be held to the same standard as journalists or not. And I think he's playing the role of a journalist. He's interviewing Mark Zuckerberg Hold him to the same standard. When Zach
1: Galifianakis interviewed Barack Obama on Between Two Ferns, was he supposed to be held to the same standards as a journalist just because he's interviewing somebody? When Oprah Winfrey interviews somebody, should she be held to the same standard as a reporter because she interviewed them? This is absurd. No, that's why you take your ass to those people to be interviewed, and you don't take your ass over to the Washington Post and Marty Baron, who will grill you like a journalist. There's a reason for this. No, I don't think that Mark... What's his face should be held to the same standard. So the only
2: standard is that you maintain your shtick. So if Dylan Byers is like, "Oh, I'm sucking up to you because I always suck up to everybody," that's not that's not criticizable. Yeah,
1: that's why that's why somebody that's why somebody would go to Dylan Byers hoping to get that treatment. Absolutely, but yeah. it's not
2: criticizable because that's his shtick.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think he should be held to the same standard as Marty Baron. No. No, I don't think Oprah should be held to the same standard as Marty Baron when she's interviewing Megan What's-Her-Name, Markle. I don't but think like, that-
2: there's clearly a threshold. Say there was like a key fact we needed to know from like Mark Zuckerberg that could be asked in a question. And he, oh my the gosh. only and if- thing he goes to is between two ferns. You don't think it's like criticizable if Zach Galifianakis
1: doesn't try- try to get an answer. I think the choice
0: is more criticizable than the actual
1: that Yeah, I think the choice is criticizable. I think what Zuckerberg's trying to do by making the choice is criticizable. But I don't think that everybody should be held to the standard of a beat reporter at a major publication or an editor like a Marty Baron or Dean Baquet. That's fucking crazy. The whole reason you're going to Oprah is because you don't want Oprah to ask the question that Marty would ask.
2: Well, I guess what, what that requires is that we... The audience still has the ability to tell the difference, I guess, between sort of Marty. But it's Barron. his audience. Well, I mean, right? I would hope
1: that the audience could tell the difference between Marty Baron, Zach Galifianakis, and Oprah Winfrey. That's my probe and prayer. yes. But
2: then we have people like Dylan Byers who try to pass as one thing while being another. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You you guys you guys don't watch reality television, but I mean, no, you know, I've never the, seen reality television. in a year. You know, after having a podcast, you have to have a second podcast about your like little hobby. You know, I want a Survivor podcast, or you need to start <laughs> thinking now about what the like the second one that's sort of lighter and just expanding our brand personalities is because because that's coming. <laughs>
1: oh Eric, are you gonna charge us money <laughs> for working with your brand studio? <laughs>
2: listen we need to build out katie you have you have facets that you're not mining for content right now that that are appealing to an audience and oh my
1: god <laughs> i have like a normal person's job dude I'm just like a little. You're, you're, you're letting miner. you're letting
2: charm go to waste. Only letting your friends enjoy it, and not not monetizing it. I just think it's it's sad. Yeah,
1: I know. Sometimes I just like having friends.
0: This is a generational issue, I think.
1: It is I, because I'm fucking old.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the fact that Katie doesn't believe in like mining all aspects of her personality till she's just an empty husk, uh, <laughs> willing to be filled by whatever PR person for the
2: fans,
0: mining her personality till she's an empty husk for the. Fans
1: fans yeah because it seems to be working out so well for all the people who've done that
0: yeah the point is that we want the fans to take equity in us personally and so right. oh
1: so can we do an nft
0: yeah that's that's i think where we're all ultimately headed listen, is that once
2: yeah
1: i would do that we
2: have a little <laughs> kitty cat as our image if you don't think nft is you no know,
0: uh... we own that too
1: listen i'm not i don't i i'm we signed obje- that document i don't <laughs> i don't object to digitizing Something about the podcast and having Eric sell it. <laughs> Unfortunately, per our contract, <laughs> all the proceeds <laughs> accrue to him no
0: uh, not the podcast no that was. I, part I, of didn't, that. I didn't
2: specify yeah this podcast is mutually the owned. audience
0: yeah. that gets driven to the newsletter that's eric's but the people that love us for us those are those are legitimate those are people that we have equity in or they have equity in us actually and once once the true nft crypto market takes hold and people can start trading their ownership of eric katie and me um i think that's when the the true largesse happens and that's when we finally transition from journalists to influencers and, and the cycle is complete and we're probably Fantastic. more powerful because of it and people don't hold us to journalistic standards as we've already established Fantastic. yeah <laughs> Fantastic. i feel like that's a good place as any to end goodbye. 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 Silicon, valley. silicon valley
1: goodbye, goodbye. goodbye. silicon valley